Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. It is a million degrees in here right now, so hopefully I could get through this uh, without getting too loopy from from heat stroke or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, anyway, let's uh, let's jump right in and see if I can make it through this in this crazy heat. First up is a new firmware for the MemCard Pro that focuses more on bug fixes and tweaks and doesn't really add any new features. But this is the type of firmware update that's super important that I think everybody should update anyway. Also, it's really easy to update the firmware in this thing. You just drop a file on and then boot your PlayStation. So, you know, not much effort to that. But even if you're not having any of the issues listed that were fixed, I think it's just good practice to keep up with the latest firmwares on these and, and get the best performance out of them. So if you're a MemCard Pro user, just update with a, you know the free easy update. And if you're unsure of what this is, this is basically a memory card for the PlayStation 1 that allows you to have pretty much as many saves as you could ever want all on one card with virtual memory cards stored on a micro SD. So you could toggle through which ones that you want and it could be used on original hardware, completely unmodified, or if you have an X station, you could have a, a memory card created for each individual game, which I think is really awesome. That's probably my favorite feature of that. Plus it does other stuff like um, if you also have a PS1 digital, you could have settings saved um, for everything. It kind of it all works together. I did a few videos and, and posts on this. So if you're interested, just search RetroRGB for MemCard Pro and you can get all the info there. But if you already own it, just do this firmware update because it seems like a pretty good maintenance update. Digital Foundry recently posted a new video series about PlayStation 1 launch titles, where they go over launch games for both the US and Japanese launches of the PlayStation and compare those games to the other versions of it that were out, such as on the Saturn or maybe the Jaguar or something like that. Uh, and it's absolutely awesome. I very stupidly thought, oh, I'm going to leave this on in the background while I go do some other work, and I'll only stop and sit down for the games that I really care about. Now, that didn't work at all. I ended up pretty much just sitting down and watching the entire first episode straight through, uh, and then just said, all right, well, before I watch any of the rest, I'm going to you know, I'm gonna set some time aside, because this isn't background music or background noise. This is something I really wanted to sit down in front of and enjoy. So, um, you know, for such an in-depth and amazing video series, I feel like I need to spend more than a minute talking about it. But there's not much else to say. It's absolutely awesome. If you're a fan of the PlayStation and, uh, you know, a fellow nerd that enjoys these comparisons, I would call this a must-watch. Uh, so definitely check it out if you're interested. Links to everything are in Chris's post. This next one is absolutely giant news for anybody who owns an A-series Sony BVM monitor, but the component video and RGB input card, the 68X, has been successfully reverse engineered by Martin Heinfeld. Now, this is the card that you could only find one or two a year, and it sells for between two and $3,000 that people said could never be reverse engineered. It's impossible, don't even bother trying, and Martin did it. The price of the card, I believe, is now $325, but that's because of the part shortage. I'll explain that in a second. Um, so it's my recommendation that if you own an A-series and you don't have the RGB input card, definitely pick this one up. Uh, if you already have a 68X, I'm sure many of you will probably pick it up anyway, knowing how rare anything A-series related is. Uh, but maybe wait until next year and save some money then. 
and I'll I'll explain a little bit now. I explained it in the video, but I'll give like a short overview just for people who are curious or or who might you know, everybody's actually been very, very cool about this and totally understanding. But by the time this video hits people that don't own the A-Series monitors, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions. And basically, Martin designed this card with a correct FPGA for the, the use. Uh, so a small, cheaper FPGA. And found out afterwards that that was one of the many chips that's caught in the part shortage that won't be available until next year. Which means if we waited to sell those as is, they might not be available for almost exactly a year from right now. And I think anybody that owns a BVM A-Series would strongly recommend not doing that. They've all waited long enough for some you know miracle to come out that allows you to use RGB or component video through it. So uh, I think everybody just wants it done and out. So what Martin decided to do instead was to use a bigger FPGA that's totally overkill that you could actually get. Um, and even though you can get them, they're way more overpriced than they normally are. And on top of that, as the, Ryan was ordering the parts, the second batch of parts that came through were even more expensive than the first, which caused him to have to raise the price again, uh, which really, really sucks. But it's just nobody's fault. So there's nobody to blame, nobody to get mad at. And I truly think it's the right decision because even at 325 so even if you live far away and you have to pay crazy shipping and it's $400, you're getting yourself a card that works better than the original two to three thousand dollar version. So next year, I'm sure Martin will come up with a different revision that could use the cheaper parts. Uh, it'll be much much cheaper than that, which is why I said if you already own a 68x, maybe just wait until that one. Uh, but if you don't own one, not only are you actually able to use component and RGB on your monitors now, but it doesn't have any of the weird sync issues that the original 68X has, which is a pretty huge deal. Um, it's the same weird sync issues that the DH monitors, so D9H, D14H, I think there's only two, um, but it's the same weird sync issue they have, and as I showed in the video, it doesn't have any of those. The only issue you might have is with um, any kind of RGBHV to RGBS conversion, but it's the same not so common scenario that you would find on the D-series BVMs, because anybody that owns these probably already knows that they're a little more finicky than the PVMs are with a lot of this stuff. So overall, I just think it's an absolutely awesome accomplishment, and I think people who own A-series are totally happy to spend the extra money knowing that it's not... No one's trying to rip anybody off. We were just bending over backwards trying to get this out to everybody. And then maybe next year it'll be cheaper in price uh, and hopefully everything will fall into place. So very, very excited about this. Um, and I really think every A-Series owner is as well. So definitely check out the video and check out the links if you want more info on this. Uh, and if you have an A-Series BVM, you should be very thrilled right now. And of course, after that amazing accomplishment, I had to interview Martin himself uh, and talk about both the 68X and the 129X reverse engineering. Also, just beer, the travels we've been on, and basically just have a fun hangout session with a friend. And this is, you know, one of the many times that I've talked to somebody for over a year, years if not, uh, that I've, you know, become friends with. And this interview is actually the first time I've ever spoken to them or seen them. So it's always really fun for me to, to do these. But, uh, you know, I feel like this was silly. Uh, you know, we laughed. We had a lot of fun. Hopefully this is entertaining and gives you an insight as to how Martin was able to reverse engineer these. And the only one 
I don't want to say negative, but one, you know, not so thrilling piece of news that Martin let us know in this interview is that each one of these input cards for the Sony BVM monitors has its own different code and architecture. So it's not something where because Martin re-engineered the A-series one that he could then port that over to the D, the E, the F, and everything else, um, you would have to start from scratch with each one. However, everything Martin does is open source, so if you have the desire and a logic analyzer, you probably would be able to do that. And I think uh, input cards like this you know, redesigned by the retro gaming community for our use are a pretty big deal. I think I, you know, gushed over the 129X Duel so much the the other week that I think you all probably understand what the differences would be and why it's exciting. But I'm uh, I'm really hoping people do jump on this and, and fork his project and get it to work on other BVMs and stuff like that. But please check out the interview for uh, for all the info on that stuff. Um, and as always, it's available as a video, but also everywhere you find audio podcasts and even for direct download. I even embed all of them in there now. So uh, I'm pretty sure iTunes is fixed. Um, they said it was fixed. It looks like it's fine on, on my setup. But if for whatever reason you're not getting any updates, just unfollow on iTunes, uh, you know, close the app, reopen the app, research for retro RGB and resubscribe. And that's definitely the fix. Really sorry, you shouldn't have had to do that at all, but, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, but anyway, thanks to Martin for all the hard work, and please check out the interview. A new NES game was just released called Slow Mole, which is kind of like a platformer-slash-puzzler-style game from developer Eric Rosland, and it looks really awesome. It's got brand new music and graphics, and you could download it absolutely for free, or if you'd like, you could make a donation, which is my favorite way to purchase these games, because respectfully, not everybody's going to like the game. It's just, you know, everybody has different tastes, and I've downloaded a bunch of these games and played a few minutes of it and gone, okay, you know, I appreciate the artwork, uh, but not really my thing. And I've also seen these games where I've started playing them and, and went, this is absolutely awesome. I'm throwing the developer some cash and, you know, how, how well I'm doing that month determines it. Sometimes it's five bucks, sometimes it's 20 bucks, but I absolutely try my best to give whenever I do end up playing the game for more than just a, hey, let's see what this is like kind of demo. And also good news for collectors. Eric had also said that he was going to be releasing a version of the game that's on a physical copy. So if you'd like to, if you like the game and you would like to purchase a real cartridge for it, that would be available as well. So um, any more details you want, please check out Sterling's post. But if you're a fan of NES platformers, this seems like something that would be worth taking a look at. The company Arcuda recently tweeted about an upcoming LCD arcade monitor that's going to sell for about $250. And this is pretty interesting because it's designed to be either in a custom arcade cabinet for people that want to build them from scratch, or to replace any CRT-based arcade cabinet that has a dead 20-inch CRT. And it supposedly can accept both 15 kilohertz and 31 kilohertz signals. Now, the native resolution of it is 1600 by 1200. So I'm also interested to see how it's going to scale a 15 kilohertz signal. Does it have integer scaling built in? Or is it just going to be your typical, respectfully, really crappy scaler that's built into monitors? Because for whatever reason, I found scalers that have built into even the cheapest TVs work better than scalers that are built into decent monitors. I don't really know why. It just uh, just kind of is what it is, I guess. So, um, you know, the price 250 is not unfair for something like that. And it is a four by three monitor and they're claiming low lag as well. So, 
having something like that that accepts VGA and HDMI and apparently even 15 kilohertz and 31 kilohertz signals could really cover a lot of ground for different styles of retro gaming, arcade gaming, or anything else. And I'm certainly interested in it because CRTs aren't going to be around forever. And on top of that, some people just don't want to deal with the weight and the effort. And I completely understand. So if you're building an arcade cabinet from scratch, having something like this could be really awesome. Just a really good addition to it. I always kind of cringe whenever I see uh, an old arcade machine, um, you know, with the CRT gutted and an LCD in its place. I, I completely understand that not everybody has the ability to get some of these replacement CRTs and they're not going to be around forever. Whereas, you know, the wooden arcade machines themselves are probably going to be around for quite a long time. So I get that this is a necessary evil, but I, I'm always way more excited to see these in new things rather than swapped out with a, you know, for a CRT instead. The only other thing that I, I saw a lot of people talking about that I agree is that I do wish they would find a larger one because something like this, if you really are stuck replacing a CRT, you're going to find a lot more uh, like 24-inch or even larger monitors that were in some of the later model cabinets where you'd have quite a big bezel area around this. And alternatively, I think there were a few CRT-based cabinets with much smaller monitors. So while I personally like the 20-inch size, I think it's just about a sweet spot, maybe a little bigger would be cooler, but I, I think that's great for retro. Um, you know, the, the whole point of if you're stuck replacing a, a CRT with an LCD, you want it to at least fit right. So, uh, you know, I know it's impossible to cover all solutions and, and to cover all scenarios, but I'm just very happy that Arcuda is taking the time to at least get one of these out and maybe test the waters see exactly how it's going to sell and if there's a demand for more. But I would certainly like to see somebody's um, somebody's interpretation of this in uh, their own arcade machine, uh, you know, built from scratch to really utilize this. I'd also really love to see somebody with build some kind of rotating mechanism so that you could easily switch between horizontal and vertical orientation, even if it's in an arcade cabinet style thing. Obviously, you just put it on a visa mount stand that swivels, but I mean, that's not... That's not very creative, is it? Anybody could do that. I like the stuff that it takes It takes us nerds to figure out how to do it. So hopefully this will open the door for a bunch of cool projects, but I'm really looking forward to testing one out. Hopefully somebody local will pick one up and I could run over with my time sleuth and take pictures, see how it works. And I really hope that they tried to figure out some way of integer scaling for this because it would make a really big difference for retro stuff. But anyway, I guess uh, we'll find out the answers to all those once it's released. Well, I guess last week's interest check must have had some pretty positive results because Retro Gamer Store just opened pre-orders on clear shells for Model 1 Genesis and Mega Drive consoles. The same shell will fit both, and I think they're still figuring out the best way to cover the aesthetic differences on the outside, because you definitely couldn't make two different molds for this because the price would be through the roof. But there probably is some kind of way to, to ship with it two sticker packs or something, so you could either leave it totally clear or then put the Genesis or Mega Drive 16-bit logo, the high-definition graphics logo, and, and whatnot. So I think overall, it's probably a good idea just to have one shell for all, and then it's some kind of different overlay, sticker, embossed emblem, jewel, whatever you want to call it, but some really nice stick-on option afterwards to make it either a Genesis or a Mega Drive. Um, but either way, it's definitely only one shell because there's only one pre-order, not one for Genesis and one for Mega Drive. Now, Retro Gamer Store is trying to incentivize people to buy this as soon as 
possible in order to collect the money to get the ball rolling on this. So anybody who buys the first 200 units will get a 15% discount. I bought one myself because I, I buy all of these. I love them. Um, and it came to about $120, including shipping to New York City. So depending on where you live, that could be a little different. But if you're in the first 200, that's what the price would be. And then it'll be about 15 bucks more if you wait until afterwards. And Retro Gamer Store is treating this as like a pre-order Kickstarter thing just to try to get money in to get this process started to make the molds and all of that. But it can't be finished unless all 500 are pre-ordered. Um, you know, it hasn't happened yet for the uh, out of three of the five pre-orders that Retro Gamer Store has done. Um, there was been no worries. They've made it to 500, and everybody's either got theirs or they're about to be shipped. I talked about that a while back. How there was going to be some shipping delays, but we're pretty much close to shipping time on those. Uh, so the only ones left that are haven't hit the MOQ of 500 is obviously this one because the pre-orders just opened, and the Super Famicom ones. Uh, I already went on my rant last week, so I'm not going to do that again. I'm keeping this 100% positive. I'll just very politely remind everybody that if you want a Genesis or Mega Drive shell or a Super Famicom one, please buy it right now. If you don't want it, cool. I'm not pressuring anybody to buy any, uh, anything like that. But if you do want it, don't hold off because it's just so much easier to have all of these things done right away so all of the pre-orders are in and we could just get these made. Um, you know, I talked a lot about tooling last week and the minimum order quantities and what it takes to make these things and, and get them the quality that they're at. And I meant all of that stuff. So, you know, I don't want to re-rant, so go listen to last week's if you uh, if you happen to miss that one. But overall, I'm obviously a giant fan of these things and I want to see them all get made. And I also want them to see them get made for this fair price. It's not cheap, but it's fair for what you get. But I imagine if they have to cut down orders to like quantities of 100 or 200, I mean, that could that could severely impact the price of this. I mean, that could double it at least. So uh, let's all get our pre-orders in now if you want it, because I want to make sure that the people who do want these get them at a fair price, because uh, there's really no other way to do it. You could 3D print them, but 3D printed material isn't the same as this. Uh, and you could have much lower quality runs, but... I don't think anybody wants that. I think we've all seen what happens with a, a cheap handheld shell that doesn't work right, or that you know that's that's not made right. And I think nobody wants that for their consoles. But anyway, I'll leave it up to you. Please check out the post and uh, follow Retro Gamer Store on Twitter if you want instant updates to this stuff. Mike G has just released a new firmware for the RetroTank 5X that adds LCD-style scan lines, some updated and tweaked automatic phase detection, and certain output modes that allow for a look that is pretty much identical to the open-source scan converter. So I'll do a little background and history on this. Um, I won't go too in-depth because I also discussed this in the original review and a bunch of times over since then, but... The open source scan converter processes the image the same way all the way through. It's uh, the input side, it's accepted its full resolution and color space. As it's being line multiplied, it stays that way. And as it's being outputted over HDMI, it stays in the full color space, the full RGB 444 color space. And the RetroTank 5X inputs it at the true color space, processes it that way, and then outputs, in most cases, at 422. Once again, go back to the original reviews to figure out where that applies. But in the case of 240p, uh, and it's line multiplying, scaling up to 1080p and around that, you would get a look that was very close to the open source scan converter in 
but not perfect. Now, just to be clear, if you're talking about generic modes, they're going to look identical on both. Uh, And most people just use the generic modes of both because they're great. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you take the time to select your optimal timings, which in the case of the RetroTINK 5X is a few button pushes away, then you would notice a small difference. Now, even looking at it here with the you know, the window kind of compressed on the screen, I can't really see it. It's harder to see on a, on a monitors that aren't that big. On a 65-inch OLED, you could probably start to see the difference a tiny bit. But these pictures, you got to remember, are scaled 10x. So you can see every little detail, and you can see a difference between those. But now with a trick from Extrems that Mike was able to figure out and implement into the RetroTINK 5X, you could get that output to look identical to the OSSEs in certain scenarios. Now, Mike has a little chart that uh, that shows where and when you could get this with what consoles and what output resolutions. But in the case of the Super Nintendo and its 256 resolution, which is almost all the games, 1080p over mode, my favorite, the 5X mode, looks absolutely perfect. It looks identical to the OSSC. Um, Check out these pictures and click for full-sized if you want to zoom in yourself and really get a sense of how they look uh, both before the original firmware and after. And it's really cool. Um, You know, it's not perfect. It's not in every mode, but it's a free update that gets you a really amazing tweak to something that, you know, you might already own. So very impressive that, that Mike was able to pull this off. Also, there's a few caveats to the LCD scan lines. Um, You need to be in an integer scale output mode, so not 1080p fill, but 1080p over or under, or any of the other ones. And you need to have the H sample rate dialed in with optimal timings. And the reason for this is because if you don't have everything perfectly scaled, adding a grid array to it would just be like haphazardly drawing lines across the screen. It would be uneven, it wouldn't look right. So if you're in an integer scaled mode, like I showed in in this Link's Awakening capture I took here, um, you are able to get it to look pretty much like an original LCD. Uh, Click on this picture for full size, but also remember that you have to look at it at 100% zoomed or else, uh, you know, basically the problem that I just described, you'll see on your screen. Um, But I think it's awesome. And I also, just, just my opinion here, I much more prefer the look of emulated scan lines for old handhelds than I do for CRTs. Because, you know, once again, I know people love scan lines, so I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm just my opinion is that so many of these artificial scan lines to emulate the look of a CRT are just horizontal lines drawn across the screen. And while it looks good in some scenarios, you still don't have any of the rest of the mask, any of the vertical stuff that goes on on a CRT to emulate that look. So it's not really the same. Whereas this, I think you get a really accurate look to what you would see. And it almost feels like what you would see if your handheld was, you know, had a brand new, you know, perfectly custom screen built for it. So like a really nice backlit screen or something. So I do think when I play handhelds through this, uh, you know, through emulation or Super Game Boy, like I showed here, I probably will use this, whereas I don't really use scan lines in most other scenarios. So if you have any kind of handhelds, especially things like Game Boy interface or stuff like that, definitely give this a try to see if you like it. Uh, It's just a, a cool option. And once again, free. And the last thing is the automatic phase detection is still automatic. You don't have to touch it. You don't ever have to worry about it. But the initial detection will take a little bit longer to ensure that it's landing in the right spot. So basically, if you power on a game and immediately start playing and for like three or four seconds into it, the phase doesn't look right. 
should automatically fix itself. Uh, or if, you know, in most games, even take a minute or two to get to the gameplay. So maybe the title screen looks weird, and by the time you're actually playing the game, it's fine. But either way, it's just something worth mentioning because I don't want anybody powering on their retro tank and going, hey, why does the console look weird without giving it that extra 10 seconds or whatever it's going to take. But as always, um, just super appreciative that Mike spends all this time adding all of these free features to a product that was already awesome when it launched. It didn't need anything else. So uh, if you'd like more details, please check out the deep dive video. Um, if you want to hear directly from Mike, you could listen to the interview we did where uh, he talked a lot about the behind the scenes stuff. Um, and of course, if you need to update your retro tank products, check out the video I did on that. It's super easy. It's just one of these things that uh, I figured having it in video form should be pretty easy for everybody just to kind of I guess the better way to say it is the video is way longer than it actually takes to update the firmware. It's really easy. Once you do it once, you know, you don't even have to think about it. It's just kind of super easy after that. So thanks again to Mike for doing this. And uh, I'm looking forward to messing around with the new features. Well, that's it for this time. It is even hotter in here than when I started, so I'm going to make this quick and just say thank you very much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and of course, thank you to everybody who supports in any way, because it's your support through the monthly services, affiliate links, and whatever else that's keeping this stuff alive. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week, maybe with some kind of air conditioning figured out. <laughs>